0: Welcome to another episode of the Get Fast Podcast brought to you by Tribolo Coaching where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined, as always, by your hosts, Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Tribolo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. And I am Jordan Donnelly. I just never have felt defined by um,
1: my ability to perform on the sporting field. I finished the 24-hour and I had... I was essentially in heart failure, and I've never really thought about it this way before, but I actually had achieved that finding my limit, you know.
0: On today's podcast, we have a very special guest and a dear friend of ours, a dear friend of Tribelo and a dear friend of Giant, and that is Dr. Mitch Anderson. Dr. Mitch is a man who manages to have more on his plate than anyone we've ever met, yet he manages to do them well and do it all with a smile on his face. After getting a background in running and rowing at high school, Mitch first tried a triathlon in 1994. This led to an amateur career between then and 2000 until he raced professionally from 2000 to 2015. Expertise in the Ironman distance led him to compete at the Hawaiian Ironman eight times with a best placing of 11th overall. He mixed a professional triathlon career which included 30 Ironman finishes with four university degrees, winning two major Ironmans in the process and dominating bike courses. After finishing physiotherapy honours at Melbourne University in 1997, Mitch went on to complete an honours degree in science, physiology, before tackling exercise genetics with a PhD scholarship at Melbourne University. He transferred to medicine at Melbourne Uni and completed his internship at Royal Melbourne Hospital before signing off a graduate career of 14 years with a diploma in surgical anatomy. We cannot wait for you to hear Mitch in this episode. He's one of the most motivated individuals you will ever hear from, and we delve right into his most extreme accomplishments, his mindset, the physical toll it took for him to achieve his accomplishments, including both the 12 and 24 hour bike world record. Now, just a reminder, if you want to download our Expert Secrets Cheat Sheet, that is a cheat sheet of the very best tips and advice that professional athletes and experts on our podcast have said to help you train smarter and race faster, just go to getfastpodcast.com. That's getfastpodcast.com. Now, please note, in this episode, we do talk about mental health, depression, and suicide. So if you or anyone you know needs professional help, we urge you to seek out that professional help, or you can call Lifeline on thirteen eleven. 14. So, without further ado, here is Dr. Mitch Anderson. All right, we've got Dr. Mitch Anderson on the line. Mitch, thank you very much for joining us.
1: G'day, Jordan and Jerry. <laughs> so, uh, so pleased to uh, finally be invited onto the uh, Trivello podcast.
2: <laughs> so, mate, uh, let's kick it off with uh, the very first uh, observation. So, let's let's just run through a few things. You started as a physio, then then you worked your way into being a doctor, all at the same time being a full-time professional triathlete. You've got a, a family with some kids. You've got a bike, ergo, set up. You coach triathletes. What do you do in your spare time?
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> try and think of otherwise to spend my spare time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually... You know, that's a good that's that's a good way to start because um I actually have an I'm an avid collector of vinyl um uh, as well as an amateur photographer so I um when I got married three years ago um to the lovely uh, Ethnie uh, and before before we had kids um uh, yeah I started collecting um, vinyl records and oh, I've got a I've got a, an ever growing collection and I think my kids are gonna think that they're growing up in the eighties and nineties. It's that sort of uh, it's that sort of scene over at our house now. It's sort of um, you know, um, in excess and Fantastic. ice house and
2: Australian crawl. Yeah, <laughs> tra- I mean, crawl?
1: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's in there.
2: That's all so my, that's my era, mate. It's, Good stuff.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> that's like you think it's gonna be it's like gonna be like back to the future then. It's gonna be <laughs> totally weird.
0: <laughs> so Mitch
1: uh, so that is And some photography, so yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, far far away.
0: Well, the amount of stuff you do is is ridiculously impressive, the amount of things you can handle at once, and throughout your career you juggled a lot of plates, and you've said now that you're a bit more relaxed and you've focused on some hobbies, but how have you managed to juggle so many plates at once, and more importantly, from your perspective, is it as uh, crazy or as extreme as it seems to other people, or it seems like a normal for you? You know,
1: Jordan, I had um, uh, I was given a book by a very good friend of mine, Damien Angus, for um, for Christmas, um, uh, called Range, and I actually only picked it up relatively recently, um, and the first chapter, it, it, essentially it's a, it's a novel or a, um, an essay debunking, um, the uh, the ten thousand hour um theory. Mm. Ie, and I'm sure people have heard about this. You know, it it, it takes 10,000 hours of training at anything to become to to get to professional or uh, expert level. Um, And having read the read the half of this book now, and the first chapter is about um, Roger Federer v. Tiger Woods, and um, you know they had diametric. Um, upbringings where Tiger obviously, you know, from the age when he was old enough to hold a club, he was practising putting. Um, uh, Should have been doing ethics classes by the sounds of it. Um, And then, uh, in contrast, Roger Federer was going all sports, all ball sports for, you know, uh, as long as he basically could until he had to specialise into tennis. And you'd say that the, the better rounded person is is Roger Federer, and that shows in the way that he actually lives his life, as well as the way he's been able to excel in sport. And so, I think all it's it, it, it's the range of um, of different um, things that I've been able to do that actually, for well, starters, has let me continue to do a lot of different things. Um, but also, it, it, it is really what allowed me to sort of get to expert or professional level in my. um well, probably more even cycling than even in
2: triathlon. But that's a, such a great point, and I I saw a quote after you'd completed the uh, twenty four hour record that you said, "Now I've got to get some more balance into my life." But you've you've got to that point now, haven't you? Where you've achieved a hell of a lot of things, and we're going to go through in a lot of detail about how you've managed to accomplish some pretty remarkable feats. But but it was really intriguing to me to hear you say. Um, yep, yeah, I'm being dedicated to this task of breaking the world 24-hour record and the world 12-hour record, but now I need some balance.
1: Well, yeah, because, it, you know, it's, it's always been my natural inclination and in, in part it was the uh, influence of my parents that, um, you know, that really didn't let us specialise. You know, they certainly weren't those sort of parents that um, allowed us to go off and... Um, uh, uh, well, we, we weren't allowed to do any training on a Sunday to start off. We had to. Uh, we were ch- churchgoers until we were 18 when we were living at home. You had to go to church on a Sunday. Yep. Uh, and then, um, you know, mum and dad just, they wanted us to do a range of different sports. And, they all, and you know, mum has been incessant um, getting me to really commit to um, intellectual pursuits um, as a school teacher And she... She was brutal on all three of us, where, you know, well, it's just sport, you know, it would be the uh, the constant retort. And, um, you know, and actually, until mum and dad came to uh, Hawaii, I don't think they realised, uh, I guess, the, the level of um, dedication um, that so many people have for, say, the sport of um, ultra distance triathlon. So, yeah, it was a bit of an eye for them. And, and, you know, I guess strange considering they have such a um uh dedication to the church and they couldn't imagine anyone doing that to sport.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh that's a really good point. And did you growing up, I mean uh your brothers, um how competitive was it? Did you did you have a <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah. Very competitive. Probably you you probably understand Jerry. <laughs> and actually Jordan could as well. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I grew up with three boys and um I was uh almost two years younger than um Brett, my older brother. And uh Brett uh look, he was a redhead, We well, he still is, kinda. Um but he's got that redhead attitude where, you know, he 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 was fierce and fierce the competitive. So he and I were at each other and um Tom, my younger brother, was
0: laconic but
1: very talented, so yeah, we I think having having two brothers really helped um uh, grow an interest in competitive sport, but um also also um have a good teamwork because we were still and remain good mates. So I think yeah, that uh competition between especially Brett and I um academically as well as from a sporting perspective um has really helped me to to stay well rounded.
2: What what's What's your specialty, and you did say you've played a wide range of sports. Did you have an inclination towards anything in particular as a junior that you thought you might like to pursue? I mean, you're obviously reasonably single-minded about, you know, when you make your mind up for whatever you want to do. Did you you have any inclination of where you might be headed as a sports person?
1: Yeah, look, the thing that got me interested in in sports to start off with was that I was a bit of a chubby kid. And um, you know, in in um, primary school especially, uh, you know, I, I actually felt quite self conscious about how chubby I was compared to um, you know, my mates and certainly didn't feel and I think it's a pretty common thing that you don't feel like you're ever the cool kid. Even the cool kids don't think they were the cool kids. So, um uh, I I felt like the chubby kids. So I really I steered more towards um, you know, running laps at school. I tried to be the best in that club but you know, I was just a pretty good kid, and then um, I was quite good at cross-country, and you know, Brett and I used to run around the river track and do some training for the cross-country, and I did, uh, I, after I got knocked out for the third time and broke my collarbone all in the space of about four weeks playing footy in year 11, I uh, I decided it wasn't for me, and um, you know, then stuck to running and rowing. Um, and I wasn't big enough to make our first date, but I certainly had the best you know, ergo in school. So, um, you know, I, I knew that I was good at endurance and it was just a matter of keeping on searching and looking for a sport that, um, that I enjoyed and that suited me, me best.
2: So you're in your teenage years and you're, you're obviously studying to be a physiotherapist to, to begin with. What was going through your mind when you were at uni as a sports person then? Were you tinkering a little bit with triathlon by then or take us through that?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, look, I tinkered in school actually. Um, I did the, uh, the, the Port Arlington Triathlon was my very first triathlon, um, which I did in a team with um, this girl, Bridie Lear, swam for us. Um, and um, uh, Andrew Lennox was the guy who did the, um, the bike leg. And I, and I did the run. And, um, Good you know, memory. I we got... Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, they make a pretty big imprint on you—the the kids that you're friends with in school. So, yeah, it was in Year 11 we did. Um, so that would have been 1992. We did the Port Arlington Triathlon, and um, we won the school division, as I recall. And that was sort of like, oh, we won something. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and I have I have told this story before, but I did. Um, we did a 12-hour against a guy by the name of Rod Evans who actually held some distance records. And I, I think he actually did hold the, um, for a time, the 24-hour um, world record. Anyway, we did a uh, it was a school fair day and um, I think 12 of us kids rode against him where he rode for 12 hours. Anyway, I rigged this competition and ended up winning a bike. Um, so I ended up getting this... Um, this bike that was probably well beyond my station that you know I would never have got it if mum, mum and dad wouldn't have put it for me. So I ended up with a racing bike. So, yeah, when, when I hit uni, um, I was training. I knew I wanted to train uh, quite seriously, and I really wasn't into going out and getting off my chops. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I sort of hadn't specialised in triathlon yet, but I did my first triathlon in, um, uh, with my then girlfriend You know, when I was 19. Just one of the really short distance ones up at Sandridge there, and I think I a third overall. And I thought, oh, oh this is probably me. This is, this is great. And so that sort of set off my um, my interest.
2: So did that's uh, ironic that uh, you sort of just recently finished an endurance event, and Rod Evans was your uh, <laughs> the man that uh, started it almost as a school kid. Well,
1: well, it was a bit. It was it was odd. I didn't actually um, realize. At the time, like it was sort of after the 12 hour where I thought, hang on a minute here. And, um, I look back and, um, uh, found an image of him actually riding the ergo at the, uh, uh, on that actual fake day. Um, uh, so yeah. And quite amazing that, yeah, he's, he's he's living over in Perth now, but, um, you know, Australia, This is you know, the other thing that really attracted me, uh, you know, just fast forwarding, um, Thirty odd years was, or twenty five odd years um, to the twelve and twenty four hour was, you know, true Jim. Um, you know, another guy who's who's proven himself to be clearly an all rounder, um, and and you know far more elite than me at, um, from an Olympic perspective. But he's gone off and you know as a rower and won multiple uh, um, gold medals and. Also, you know, he's done extraordinarily things in cycling given his background. You know, he's what he's in six foot nationals in the time trial and um, uh, ended up doing. It. He, I think he did one eye Man. I think where he had ICB friction, but he, you know, he was a fifty one swimmer and he he bikes really well. And so, you know, when I saw him do the the twenty four hour attempt, uh, that was when I thought, oh, hang on to you. I reckon I could. Uh, I can't do better than that. Um, So you know, it's 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 really having those peers and and seeing being stimulated by other people, being open to those ideas as well, that is really important.
2: And we'll we'll touch on that later on when we do talk about your uh, your attempts and successes at that. But so going forward on that, who who was influencing you in the early '90s in triathlon that was getting your attention as a as a someone to aspire to?
1: Um. Well, I didn't know you then, Jerry. I probably would have probably you know, because have
2: been I, you. I was already already has been by then. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
1: I would only come to learn about you after, uh, well, after that, Jerry. Um, <laughs> no, look, you know, I, I hear lots of people tell stories about um, wild water sports and and watching up growing well, growing up watching Welsh and all sorts of stuff, mm. and that really wasn't my experience. Um, uh, you know, we're only allowed to watch half an hour of television in the evening, um, and it usually ended up being the 7.30 report, <laughs> so, um, which makes us...
2: Bit of culture. You know,
1: yeah, oh, very cultural. Um, good old John Yost. Anyway, we... Let's um, uh, go back. I guess, yeah, growing up, um, yeah, I mean, you, you really are, you're really shaped by uh, mainly, well, we were mainly shaped by a family, and... So from a from a sporting hero perspective um, you know I think the Olympics was just the biggest thing uh, you know not Olympic um, uh, triathlon or anything, but just you know all the events of the Olympics was was the thing that I really like watching and uh, and maybe I' hear what you guys have to say actually that maybe as you grow up you grow out of the Olympics uh, what's your um, what's your take on the Olympics are you guys still in love or is it sort of Actually, know,
0: I actually totally agree with you, Mitch. when I was twelve, I remember I made a bet with my best friend in primary school that I would be in the twenty twelve Olympics because I just thought the Olympics were the greatest things in the world. And I thought there was nothing you could do better than the Olympics. So I did hold it in such high esteem when I was a kid, mm. yeah.
2: Yeah, I could rattle Are you, off Jerry? I could rattle off yeah. every Olympic year and the city that it was in from, you know, back in Berlin. And that's how much it meant to me. The Olympics was everything and um, had you know, had I got the opportunity I would have taken it with both hands. but I, I don't know now. it's uh, there's so many world championship sports that that you know they do that individually now and the Olympics is, is mm. taking a different take.
0: So that that makes me kind of wonder, Mitch, that you're pretty intrinsically motivated. You weren't motivated externally by watching a lot of role models or people on TV. So how do you fall into, Ironman triathlons because it's not it's not something that people can just fall into and do as a it's there's not a really common stepping stone from some sprint triathlons to Ironman.
1: No, so look, I mean, my university career um, was sort of critical in in terms of um, uh, moulding my sporting career, um, if you can call it that was uh, that. You know, I, I was absolutely, um, stringent that my, and you know, in parts it sort was of drummed into me that my university, uh, or to my sporting life had to match in with my, my university life. So, you know, I, I made a point of really doing, um, going to the university games and I actually met Moore, well, who would be my future in- brother-in-law, um, Dan Quinn, um, through, uh, Australian uni games. Uh, in 95, uh, in Lismore at the uh, Australian Uni Championships in cross country. And, you know, Dan was a sub um, 30 minute 10K runner. Um, and I guess being exposed to people like him, obviously Damien Angus, I met through university, um, who, you know, as, who won the Australian Uni Games in I think, 96 for Triathlon. He beat Craig Alexander there. Mm. Um, and so, you know, meeting Damien probably. Um, was, you know, a a seminal moment in in my sporting career because, you know, Damien, uh, he's such a thinking man, um, athlete that, you know, he's he's, I think he's got 20 years of, um, and you guys should talk to him at some stage, he's got 20 years of heart rate data um, all in Excel spreadsheets where he, um, you know, he compares himself year on year on year on year. And you can see that now he's still, um, you know, at an elite level for an age grouper and uh, he, he will be until he drops, I reckon. So, yeah,
2: he certainly um, set the standard, he, hasn't he? He's uh, well, incredible. Yeah, he, has, age he really
1: has. Yeah. And so I guess Damien um, and I met in 97 when I did um, uh, an experiment, one of his experiments, because um, he got a PhD in carbohydrate metabolism. So, you know, Damien and I met in 96 or 97, and we really hit it off. You know, I was sort of, I wanted to be, um, you know, his standard in terms of triathlon. So I sort of thought, oh, right, that's what I, you know, I'm going to do this um, physiology game. So that's when I went off and did my um, honours in um, physiology where I um, where I did a uh, uh, an experiment on um, glycerol hyperhydration, which is actually the, the thing that killed um, uh, Chris Lee's gut. Mm-hmm. So he was taking... Um, Medium, he was using medium chain triglycerides, sorry. But you know, it's similar sort of thing. Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I ended up uh, falling in with danger. And um, I guess it was soon after that, I think 99, that I ran my first marathon. And, um, you know, I hadn't really trained specifically for it. I was preparing to do the, uh, the national duathlon title with a view to go to the world championship in the, the elite division. And I went up to Amberley up in um, Queensland, and uh, Mum and Dad have a place in Currumbin, because my grandfather used to live in um, uh, Chugan next door. So you know we used to go up there every year. And oh um, anyway, I went, went up to Amberley, which is an airbase north of um, Brisbane, to race the national champs. and I finished seventh, which didn't actually qualify me for the, um, for the world championship. Mm. And it was one of these things where. It was an in-house selection thing where basically they just offered all the spots to, well, unsurprisingly, to Greg Welsh and um, Bennett, uh, you know, Greg Bennett, and basically anyone who wanted to do it who was an elite guy already, they got to do it. And you know, <laughs> I didn't get a look in.
2: Mm, so anyway, I thought
1: I'll run the marathon. So I ran, um, I ran the Goldie Marathon and ran a, oh maybe it was ninety-eight. This was anyway. I ran a two
2: thirty-nine.
1: Um, first up. Oh. yeah, first. first First up, um, where well, I hadn't really trained specifically for it, um, my younger brother, Ashley, Tom, he he said, oh, if you're going to run the marathon, I'll run the half. And so he was three years younger than me. So yeah, yeah. I was 23 and he was 20. And um, he ran a 129 for the half of no training, zero training. And I ran a, yeah, I ran at 239 and I'd aimed for 240. And, and, you know, in hindsight, it's, yeah, it's a really good time for first marathon. Um,
2: I hope you were happy with uh, that.
1: No. Yeah, no, I was really happy. I was like, oh yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I
0: mean, Dad's shaking you know, his like, head just turning up and the, going, oh, just, I'll, I'll get a 240, don't worry about it.
1: We just got to look at, say, um, the, yeah, my, I think I told you about Tom's time for a reason that, you know, like we were just lucky that, uh, in part, we were breast blessed with some good genetics. But, you know, we, were, we had good motors.
2: You got and, a diesel you know, engine Tom, in there, yep.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, like, you know, Tom was, 20 and he's and he's running a 129 off no training. He sort of go well, yeah. We, we we knew we had some. like I knew I had some talent for the endurance events, and so yeah. Then Damien sort of said, oh well, you run run a marathon, and we did the Melbourne Marathon, I think, in '99. And he said, oh well, let's just let's do the Ironman, and I'd done a few halves and bits and pieces, and you know I was sort of a 415 half Ironman guy, and yeah, you know, but I just desperately wanted to. To, you know, be mates with Danger and do what Danger was doing. So, and which one yeah, did you select? Did. Yeah, Foster. Of course, we did.
2: <laughs> so, two thousand. Yeah, no, we
1: th- yeah, we were at Foster in two thousand. So, you know, this whole it was almost twenty years to. Well, yeah, it two weeks ago I think it was twenty years um, since the first Ironman. And Damien, uh, Damien, and tony Ricard. So there were four guys who really trained together. Um, so it was Damien, Tommy, and um, uh, Rory Walsh was the other guy. And we, you know, we did a heap of training together and, you know, we were really guided by largely Damien because um, he and Tom had done the Japan Strongman and he'd also done the Sato Island um, uh, triathlon over in, also over in Japan. And so, you know, he's had some, he had much more experience than me. So, you know, so With, Damien ended up. You went on to win that strong
2: man too, by the way. In, uh,
1: oh eventually, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, that nine years later. Yep. Um, Damien um, uh, finished in eight forty seven and tenth place overall in, at Foster, and his you know first Ironman. Um, oh. Tommy did an eight fifty five, and, uh, and I think he won his age group. And then Rory finished; he did nine oh six and um, won my age group, and then I was second in 907. So, you know, just this, this perfect storm. He's four the, guys who, yeah. you know, all sort of, you know, well, Damien's incredible, but, you know, all within sort of um, the top 30 at Ironman Australia, and it's their first go, first go around. So, you know, I, that really set the tone for like, oh, well, we're quite good at this, and we, we all took our Hawaii slots, and, oh, sorry, I took my Hawaii slot. Um, Rory didn't. Rory was the only one who didn't. All right. Actually, he ended up becoming quite a solid marathoner but was plagued by injuries. And Tommy and Damien have gone on to, you know, in fact, yeah, all three of us. Um, oh, I won my age group in Hawaii, you know, two, and Damien ended up winning his age group, I think 30, 34 at some stage, and Tommy got second in his age group in Hawaii and um, uh, finished 27th overall one year. So, yeah, yeah,
2: impressive I, yeah, little stable of of, of, uh, of triathletes yeah. there, and uh, and look, you went on to what? How many Ironmans did you do? Eight or so?
0: Conus? Yeah. Oh, eight eight or so yeah. Cona, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, and thirty
2: uh, total. Thirty
1: mean yeah. total, and just led to some fatigue.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> looking at uh, uh let's just go into a little bit more detail about um, you know your mindset about what races you selected, uh, the successes you had. Um, obviously, we've asked this question to a lot of people who are triathletes and, you know, is Hawaii the pinnacle for you and something that you aspired to, to do your best in uh, as compared to the other events that that you were, you know, famously winning?
1: Well, look, I think uh, because my sort of, um, you know, eye to eye man really only started in 99, Um and that was obviously the year that um, Luke van Lierd, um, uh most likely juiced to the eyeball, came out and <laughs> and and won it in a in a record time. Um, I guess yeah, I, my yeah my, my Ironman um, interest really had come. Well, you know, I guess pro, I guess late, um, and I but I hadn't done that much triathlon so. Uh, you know, the thing that probably shaped me more than anything in that first year of Ironman was, um, was that I did not, did not finish in Hawaii. So I went along and, um, you know, Damien and I had actually taken 10 weeks off to go up and, and train properly for the Ironman. Like, we were going to train like pros and, of course, I got sick. Um, and then um, my grandfather died and, uh, uh, yeah, just some stress. And I wound up sick at the race. Um, was coughing up blood on the run and ended up pulling out. It it actually ended up being such an important experience for me that, well, for starters, I never wanted to DNF ever again. Um, And also, I was more motivated than ever to succeed the next time I came back to the Big Island. Um, So I went off the next year and raced um, uh, Foster again, and won my age group, qualified for Hawaii and didn't go. um, What
2: what was the reason for not going?
1: Well, I wanted to get more experience in doing some halves, and yeah. and basically, also I was, you know, I was ascribing to Damien's push and hold year. So, you know, Damien uh, had this attitude that you you should really push yourself on alternate years, and then to make sure that you could sort of achieve academically on the alternate year, you would, you know, push your academic and and hold a bit on the sports. Um, which, yeah, I I sort of committed. <laughs> for a couple of years anyway. Um, and then, you know, having – I think, yeah, you know, I finished 12th at Boston the year after in 01. And then in 02, I finished, I think, 11th and, again, won my age group and went to Hawaii and then managed to – and, you know, I, I was astonished to win my age group in Hawaii and I, fi- I finished 21st overall. And that, that was the thing. That was the I felt like an imposter up until then. Huh. In fact, I think an imposter syndrome—probably lots of people feel it—but you know, I felt it acutely um, after not finishing in 2000, and then um, I sort of felt the veil of it lift in O2 when I won my age group and broke nine hours.
2: A little bit um, of redemption um, from
1: yeah. But then you know, like a few, even a few years later, when I, well, two, two years later, when I went and then raced. Um, uh, and I was off the bike in fifth overall in Hawaii. And I tell you, like, just having ridden past, um, you know, the bunch containing, um, Peter Reed and basically a who's who of triathlon, Tim, um, Tim De Boom and all these guys and, and Macker. And I oh, know it wouldn't be Maca. Anyway, it was, you know, a who's who in that bunch. And I just, I rode five them in the last, um, 40k and off the bike in fifth. And I'm like, I did. This is not right. <laughs> I shouldn't be here. This is this. Is, yeah, that's not my cohort. And um, yeah, I think that that imposter syndrome sort of plagued me. Well, it helped push me? I think.
2: Did as you well as plagued me when you got off the bike in fifth place? Let's just dig a bit into when you started running. Did you think I'm still yeah. an imposter, or did you think I'm a chance to stay in this position?
1: Um. I, I was actually just incredibly surprised. Because, uh, you know, like I was, uh, it was my, probably my sixth Ironman. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd done New Zealand earlier in the year, my first pro race and finished ninth. And so there's sort of then, you know, my eyes weren't lifted that high yet. You know, the, <laughs> I was sort of more thinking, yeah, you know, I just wanted to go top 20 that year. And so, having gone, yeah, having got, it was an exceedingly windy year, and that actually really played into my um, strength of cycling. Um, you know, I sort of rode from, say, a, swam into a hundredth place, and then rode into fifth place mm. on a day that where very few people broke five hours on the bike. Mm. So, um, you know, I think I had the second fastest bike um, split at four forty nine and Stadler had the, the fastest bike split at 4.39.
2: Can I just stop you next, there? Yeah.
1: Let's
2: just go forward to the 24-hour record, <laughs> and you rode 4.48 five consecutive times. <laughs> yeah. What are what you saying about that?
1: Yeah, I know. It's outrageous, isn't it, really? Um, the, it just goes to show that, um, well, you have to have a good motor to start off with, but it's then the body of work and uh, uh that leads to um, producing something where you you ride you know just over 30, 17 an hour for 24 hours like <laughs> it, 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 it's 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 um it's a very rare instance and and I know we're sort of um, jumping the gun a bit but to actually get to be say early 40s um, and have the opportunity to do that record where you don't have you know, a family, you don't have that many financial constraints um, uh, and you're able to gather the sponsors and the time and all sorts of stuff. It's just...
2: it stars are kind of Yeah,
1: Yeah, you have to be um, lucky as well as good because <laughs> um, realistically, yeah, the, like there's not that many people with the motor to do it and then to get decent weather to get a track, to get all the equipment, to get all the volunteers, to get yeah. to get it all to, to fall into alignment is incredibly difficult. And I think that's what's the biggest impulse for people to ride the record is that you have to be an all rounder. Like you have to have the range that we were talking about before, that mm. you know, you have to be able to pull a team together. You have to be a good teamwork person, otherwise no one you can't get thirty people to come and down and volunteer for you mm. if you're a bit of an a hole. Like you just
2: doesn't work like that so let's just we digressed a bit let's just go back to yeah. this uh you know off the bike in 249 second fastest bike time if if you had the fitness that you had as a 24-hour world record holder back then it, it was a completely different ball game for you wouldn't it if you know in hindsight looking back thinking far out if i had the, the fitness that i had when i was a 40 year old competing as a youngster in hawaii what sort of time could i have done
1: well, the, the the interesting little rub on my um, performance that year was, you know, I ended up finishing um, 11th. Um, Which uh, was your best placing, wasn't it, ever? It was my best placing. Yeah. Um Becky actually went positive for EPO and then managed to get himself off on the technicality that year where he finished in 5th place. Um, and, you know, I was still in 10th place um, running down Polani when I got passed mm-hmm. the for 10th place, so essentially, you know, like... Yeah, top 10. Less yeah. than a mile from the finish. Yeah. Um, Does that grade on you, and Mitch, I,
2: the, the positive uh, tests of... of uh, over the years, you've mentioned two people already. Is that something that's um, disappointing? Yeah. And Look, it, it's, pa- it, it's funny... Of, it's it, part of sport, isn't it, unfortunately?
1: It, it's part of sport, and if I hadn't cheated to achieve what I managed to achieve, then uh, I guess... I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be an ethical human, and I actually wouldn't be very good at my job. <laughs> you know, uh, I think if you cheat in sport, then you're going to cheat in the rest of your life, and I just don't think it's a good indicator for the sort of person you're going to be. So, yeah, look, I, I, I at the time it was incredibly frustrating for me. You know, it would have been, I think it was five thousand US dollars for tenth place, um, as well as all the sponsors and all sort of stuff. But realistically it makes no difference to my life in the same way that um, you know now and it doesn't make any difference to my life uh, that i've got a 24 hour world record other than it just goes it shows that you know i can i can achieve i something i'm i'm dedicated and you know i had a great experience with the people i was there with um, when i raced in hawaii in 2000 and in two thousand and four, it was a great experience for me to go and do that, and it and it's helped me succeed in other areas of my life. And it, yeah, I'm just, I just never have felt defined by um, my ability to perform on the sporting field. I, I really enjoyed it, but I, I, I'm, I'm not. That doesn't define me as a person. It's just something that I managed to achieve.
0: Was that true for your whole career? Because it's very hard to complete thirty Ironmans, go to Hawaii eight times. If you're not, um, not, not that you're not phased by your result, but like you said, that it doesn't define you. For most people to be putting the time and effort to get those results and perform in a sport like that, it needs to mean a lot and it almost needs to mean too much for you to actually be able to do it properly. I guess, um, yeah, I, I'm
1: not trying to be dismissive of um, the effort that I put into to doing Man. Ironman, um, you know it, it was a lifestyle for me that 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 suited my personality that you know type a personalities are are well rewarded in in triathlon. Um in, in endurance sports in general if you're a type a person you're very well organized and you're actually able to execute races better than than, than most others um, so it was it was it's, it's a testament to the type of person you are as well as you know, you just are rewarded for training efforts in Ironman. You know, there's a great um, quip about um, the triathons about being the best at exercise, and there's something in that. Um, uh, And I guess it also married up really very well with my academic interests. So, you know, having done uh, my physio and then the honours in science, I also started a PhD in um, uh, the genetics of exercise where I was looking at a... a, um, uh, an angiotensin gene in the heart and the, how that actually predisposed you to either heart failure or to um, sporting prowess. And so, you know, my interest lay in um, the in sporting performance academically as well as yeah. um, on the sporting field. So, you know, I, I was living the dream. Yeah. Was, you know, I was getting paid to go and do these races. And, yeah. you know, I was talking the other day with, with – um, uh, Luke Bell about you know, or oh, sorry, it was um, Tim Burkle, where we were getting paid between you know five and ten thousand dollars just to turn up to races, which now you know the the, the guys get allocated five hundred dollars for flights, accommodation, and um, uh, and food. And you think, oh, we, we were just incredibly well looked after, and
2: it was um, an amazing you know, was period, wasn't it? It was truly yeah. um, just in the from two thousand to, you know. The early pioneers, that Dave Scott, Tinley, uh, Mark Allen, they really set up Ironman to be uh, well on its way by the time ninety-five to two thousand and ten rolled through. It was the buzz sport, wasn't it? Um, and you were really yeah. well looked after, and and it was like a package that you were you were just going along for this ride. Is that you know? But you loved the process of all of it. But um, is that how you felt during that time? Or
0: well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was the thing is that everything that I was doing was a positive input, and you know, up until the, to two thousand and nine when I got divorced, you know, I uh, I I I can't explain how well my life went. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, I, I never anticipated being um, an elite sports person, and I, I'd always you know had desires to be that uh, to be good at sport, but even when I started Ironman, you know, I sort of did my first Ironman and thought, oh, that's really good. Like, I'd love to go top 10 one day. And then, you know, I went top 10 in New Zealand and thought, oh, you know, I'd really love to, to go top five one day. And I just had a, a stepwise improvement year upon year upon year. And and, and I, didn't, I didn't have any sort of grand plan to win Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of – I wasn't so starry-eyed that I thought I was well, better than, say – um, you know, Greg Welsh or whoever it was. But I just, I sort of just slowly lifted my eyes up and I actually think that that meant that I was always quite realistic about where triathlon sat in my life because it was also feeding into um, helping me understand the human body from a, a sports medicine perspective as well, which was, you know, that was that was my grand plan was always to become a sports doctor. So, And that, yeah, that's a great point,
2: isn't it? And, and what we talked about earlier with, uh, with, danger and the range book and and you, you're trying to incorporate a balance uh, approach and for a lot of people that might sound like a bit of a cop-out where you know I want to be I want to be a pro triathlete and I'm not going to tell anybody that I, my desire is to win therefore if I don't win um, you know there's less pressure on me but you went out and you actually did win and your first victory was in um, Ironman W.A., so tell us about that experience.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, O five was probably my best year in my best year in sport um, from a triathlon perspective, anyway, or an Ironman perspective. Is that you know I got it was the last year in Foster, and um, uh, I finished third at um, at Foster. Um, never got to win that one like you did, Jerry.
2: Um, well, you're the first and- Australian, mate. That's. That does count, <laughs> doesn't
1: it? Um, well, that, that year it was, um, uh, it was uh, Macca one from Louis Bell and then I was the right, third. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you know, that was just like, again, you know, that's probably one of the, the ultimate times or uh, ultimate experiences was running down the finish line in Foster and, uh, and being on the podium. Again, you know, having exceeded my expectations, uh, you know, I think I just – I got into medicine that year to start the following year and I um, – so I'd sat the Gamsat and then um, I did uh, – I signed up for Hawaii um, based, on the basis of my third place and then I actually went overseas and raced um, – I was – I raced uh, – oh, gee, got me. Um, I raced for Ironman that year. I think I raced Ironman um, Zurich um, and – finished third there too um, behind two relatively well-known um, um, pharmacy students. And um, then uh, went to Hawaii and finished in 14th place. And, you know, I guess I'd hoped to go top 10, but it was a very fast year, no wind on the bike. And, you know, I did, I think I got, I did an 8.37 and, um, you know, from in comparison to the year before I'd done nine oh six and finished eleventh and then I did eight thirty seven and finished fourteenth, you know, sort of go figure, it just goes to show you how mild the wind was that year. Um and then Daryl Griffiths from Carbo said to me, Oh, if you fly over to to Perth for the Iron Man, um, you know, I'll pay your airfare. And I wasn't planning to do another Iron Man, but I thought I'll oh, stuff it. I might as well go over and uh, I think I had a six-week turnaround or something, and so I, I wasn't. I had low expectations, and I think that really fed into then. You know, I was well rested and turned up, and just I was doing my fourth Ironman in the year, and I thought, oh well, this is just a, you know, just a suck it and see. That's a so, pretty
2: incredible season.
1: Oh. And then yeah, I just I managed to um, luck in on a day like they actually they delayed the swim start because there were thunderstorms, and you know it was incredibly rough. Um quite windy on the bike, again, making the, the bike, um, uh, you know, uh, the most important part of the day. And then, you know, I ran um, 2.59. And, like, I just, I put together one of my perfect races. And, yeah. you know, I just, uh, we, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy who finished second, actually, um, uh, his name is come to me in a minute, um, you know, went on to finish on the podium in Hawaii. And, it, you know, I sort of think, well, yeah, it's just it. It's nice to have those days where you know, and and for me, this, I've had that that kind of day probably half a dozen times where in in a race where I felt untouchable, mm. like you know, um, the cycle, the bike felt easy, you know, like I averaged I averaged you know two ninety nine point four watts for for one eighty um, k's as a seventy one kilogram person, and I was just I was just was. It was floating. It was easy. Like, you know, I just, the whole day was easy. You know, not the run wasn't easy, but the, the cycle leg, I just, I was just floating along. It just, it couldn't have been uh, a better day from a feeling
2: perspective. Did you get off the bike first?
1: Uh, no, I think, I think, I oh, mean, yeah, no, it was that year. So Craig McKenzie, Craig McKenzie, um, Luke McKenzie, um, got off the bike in first and i got off the bike in second and um you know i'd lost a huge amount of time to him in the swim because it was a choppy swim but yeah i just uh i rode through the field and, and got everyone except for luke and he had a calf injury which is the reason why he um he biked so hard and he sort of i assumed the leave um, uh, at the end of the or well, the start of the second lap where it was a two lap course and yeah, I, I yeah, I was
2: that was it.
1: Was just floating along, and you know, couldn't couldn't believe that it had happened. You know, here was uh, yeah. Iron Man. In fact, that was one one quick story that, um, at Ironman, um, it was Ironman Austria that I'd done earlier in the year. Where i done, I'd actually done gone 823 there, and you know, it was my fastest time. Um, uh, fast. At least I think it was. Maybe that was 04. Anyway, um, sure, I was at the race anyhow. And I said, oh, you know, just, I just don't know when I'm going to win one of these things. And he goes, mate, don't worry about it. You'll win one one day. And, you know, literally <laughs> six months later, here I was, uh, you know, running across as a winner on the finish line thinking, oh, sure, they told
0: me I could do this. That's
2: his home <laughs> it's his home race too. He would, he would take any spot probably.
0: Does that does that stack up as, as one of your career highlights, that win? Is that one of the best best win you had, you oh,
1: think? Absolutely. I mean, it's just... Look, and that sort of paves the way for, for um, my relationship with um, with Giant Bikes, which, you know, again, has been such a massive um, part of my life, not just um, from a sponsorship perspective, but also from a friendship perspective. And, you know, um, uh, you know, I would have met the Donnellys if it wasn't for uh, for Ruddy. Yes. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, very funnily, you know, I was, I was a Cervelo athlete and... Um, uh, Ruddy didn't really didn't really think I was much chuffed at the time. He was sponsoring Luke Bell, and um, you know uh, I'd met Ruddy, and you know we hadn't really hit – well, he we didn't know each other. Anyway, um, when I won Ironman uh, WA, uh, I, uh, the only other company I approached apart from Cervelo was Giant, and you know Ruddy had offered me what seemed like a gargantuan um, sum of money to ride bikes. <laughs> for Giant, and then um, uh, I offered to have, to have take half the amount with Cervelo to stay with them. Like I said, I'd, I'd take yeah, half the amount, half the bike, half the dollars, and in hindsight, I'm so glad they said no, mm. because realistically, my life would have been totally different.
2: Mm. Yeah, an amazing decision, wasn't it, uh, that was made for you almost, so... Um. And you never look back since Uh, it's been an an unbelievable relationship you've had with uh, Giant Australia and and uh, the uh, the Pied Piper himself Darren Rutherford. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, well, look, you know, I'd like to 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 think that I've I've managed to put back part of what um what I've managed to um to take out of uh, of Giant. It's been yeah, look, they've been an incredibly good supporter of mine. uh, and look, I'm not aiming to make this a um, advertorial, but you know, <laughs> even little opportunities like um, last year, I had the um, the design team from Taiwan come and spend. I spent an hour with them talking about um, you know what I'd consider to be important on the new time trial frame, and even just to be in the you know in the discussion about. Being able to have input into into um, frame designs—that's that, never an opportunity that never would have come my way, were it not for you know someone as um, as open-minded as, as Ruddy is. And um, yeah, I just I just think yeah, he's such a he's such a good unstructured thinker um, mm. where you know no idea is too silly. And yeah, he's he's placed a lot of faith in me over the years, and um, yeah, and provided me with lots of interesting opportunities.
0: Same goes for us. That's why we love Giant at Trivello. They're our biggest supporters at Trivello Coaching. This is the end of part one of our two-part interview with Mitch. This is right where we leave his Ironman career and start diving deep into his 12 and 24-hour world record attempts. And I have to say, part two of this interview is so mind-blowing that Dad and I were left speechless. At one point, we both forgot we were supposed to ask a question because we were so engrossed in the story and the mindset it took for Mitch to attempt what he did. The details of this story will leave your jaw on the floor and inspired to take on any challenge. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to leave a review on any podcasting app or in iTunes. It really does help us and helps other athletes like yourself find us. If you want to get our best free resources to help you train smarter and race faster, go to getfastpodcast.com. We'll see you in part two.